Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Wyatt Cenac, in for Jesse Thorne. Sam Richardson is one of the funniest people on TV right now. If you've seen HBO's Veep, you probably know him for his role as the weird, kind of lovable Richard Splett. He's starring in a new show called Detroiters. It's set in Detroit, obviously. Sam was born and raised there, and if you ask him for a favorite memory, he might tell you about the time he turned 21. It was at his favorite bar where he'd already been going for years. He would go to this one bar in Detroit, <laughs> and I would go. I was I became a regular there when I was 19, and then I had my 21st birthday at this bar, and the the owner was like, "Oh, Sam, happy birthday." Uh, how old are you? I was like, I'm 21, George. <laughs> He's like, you son of a <laughs> He was so mad at me. He didn't talk to me for two months. It's Bullseye. Coming up, I'll talk with Sam about Detroiters, how it came together, and what he remembers from growing up there. Plus, you know, the rest of his childhood. Like when he spent his summers in Ghana. In, in, in Africa, everybody's black. Uh, in Detroit, 70%, 80% black, but like they're not at the head of everything. You know, in, Ga- in Ghana, all the, pol- all the politicians, business owners, and from the highest class to the lowest are black. So you, you have this confidence, I can be king, I can be president, I can be whatever. Then I'll talk with Sid, the singer who got her start with Odd Future, created her own sound with the internet, and has a new record out. She'll talk to me about how weird it feels hanging out with the singers and artists she grew up listening to and how she tries to avoid it when she can. I'd rather, like, just admire somebody from afar than, hey, I'm Sid and I'm a huge fan of yours and one day you'll know who I am type stuff. I'd rather just wait till they find out who I am and come up to me like, yo, I've heard your stuff and I like it. And then I'll be like, yo, you don't even know what that means to me. (laughs) Plus, I'll tell you about one of the weirdest socially conscious horror movies I've ever seen. Don't worry, it's not Get Out. We would never spoil Get Out on NPR. It's all coming up on Bullseye. Let's go. It's Bullseye. I'm Wyatt Snack. My first guest, Sam Richardson. Sam's made appearances on shows like The Office, Arrested Development, Drunk History, but you probably know him from his role on HBO's Veep. Sam plays Richard Splett, a kind of goofy, weird, but well-meaning aide to the president. If you aren't sure who I'm talking about, he's basically the only happy character on Veep. Now Sam's working on a new show, Detroiters, that he co-created and stars in with SNL alum Tim Richardson. The two came up together taking improv classes in Detroit, and they also worked side-by-side at Chicago's second city. In Detroiters, Sam and Tim play Sam and Tim. They're a pair of fresh-faced ad men living in the Motor City, but they're tired of shooting ads for bargain-priced local businesses and desperate to move on to bigger and better things. It's a buddy comedy, but Sam and Tim are real-life friends, and it comes through on screen. It's endearing, weird, and hilarious. In this scene from the show's pilot, Sam and Tim are chasing the business of Carter Grant, a Chrysler exec played by Jason Sudeikis. Jason's also an executive producer for the series. Here, the guys have just crashed Carter's business lunch, and he's trying to let them down gently. But, you know, I'm just not sure that your firm is what we're looking for right now, gentlemen. 
Oh, sure, because you're probably going to go with these fine folks from Chicago, because that's where you make your cars. Wait a minute, no you don't. Where do they make their cars, Sam? Right here in Detroit. Come on, Carter. You make your cars here. You make your ads here. <laughs> Fellas, it took a lot of balls coming in here like this. Well, we were already eating here, so I'm Right, the receipt, yeah. Um, tell you what, why don't you come by tomorrow? Hmm? Eight o'clock. Eight, I can't at eight, I just can't. I have dinner with my wife and I can't cancel. Oh no, I meant AM. AM, yeah, makes way more sense, yeah. A little early. We'll be there, okay? See you in the morning, thank you. Gentlemen, Mrs. Pomerantz. Ms. Oh. Sam Richardson, welcome to Bullseye. Thank you for having me. So Detroiters, this is the brainchild of yourself and Tim Robinson, Uh both Second City guys, both from the Detroit area, correct? Yep, correct. You know, we we both met and became, like, great friends in Detroit uh, and then, like, eventually left Detroit to, like, work in Chicago, then uh, L.A. and New York. But the whole time we just wanted to come back to Detroit and, like, do – a show about it. We want to bring something back to Detroit. Now, years later, we finally get to do that. So it's a like a dream come true, you know. Well, I think what's interesting about the show is that there is the idea that I feel like a lot of people have of Detroit as it's been seen, whether it's in movies or TV shows or car commercials. That is this sense of Detroit as barren wasteland, mm-hmm. and it feels like you all have tried to not show that side, but show the the life and the vibrancy in Detroit. Right. Because it, it's true of Detroit, like, yes, there are those barren areas and those like, those places have been hit really hard with economic disparity. But that's not everything that's in Detroit. You know, Detroit is a functioning, working city. Uh, so we wanted to, like, show what Detroit is for you know, Detroiters. It, you know, it's it's not the story of everybody who lives there, but it's certainly the story of people who live there. And it was important to us to finally get to show that aspect because it's never seen in anything. It's always the butt of the joke to land on what the worst place in America could be. And it's not that, you know. Right. Yeah. Well, and it, it feels like throughout the show, there are a lot of Detroit specific references. I believe the newscaster Mort, Mort Krim, Krim. Uh-huh. is a local Detroit longtime newscaster. Longtime like legend, Mort Krim. Uh Will Farrell apparently like based Ron Burgundy off of Mort Krim. Really? Yeah. Because he was a big time, uh, I think it was a Philadelphia newscaster before he moved to Detroit and became like the Detroit like main guy like like legendary anchor uh so it was like amazing to get him because tim especially is such like a a news anchor like head like to to him they're like sports figures you know so he like those are his baseball cards yeah exactly he's got like their trading cards and everything so like the chance to get more crim in there is like oh it's gotta be more crim can we get more crim and more crim was like so happy to do it we had like a few auditions for people but then we're like let's just see if more crim will do it and then he put on he put himself on tape to like audition for it and really he, yeah uh but he oh, lives wow. in florida so he put himself on tape and then we're like well if, if mort crim wants to do it then by all means mort crim you know and so like like we, he would we would like set up like a uh like a skype kind of thing so he'd be in a uh like a local station in uh in florida 
and we would just kind of Skype and like just feed him lines and he would do them. And of course it's Mort Krim. So he nails it every time. Like, so the, the comedy of, of having this like really sharp professional, uh, best of the best anchor, like saying these like kind of one-off jokes, like these, these, these like <laughs> uh, odd jokes is just a perfect juxtaposition. Now for people who aren't from Detroit, are there, other things that you would point out that you would say, oh, that's a very specific Detroit reference. Yeah, like uh, like like Mort Krim, like we we it, we're always like snacking on like real Detroit snacks, like uh, better made potato chips. We show them a lot in there, and like legitimately, we're just eating them on set, you know. Uh, <laughs> and like Fago Pop, like I, whenever there's a Fago Pop, Fago is a local Detroit uh, pop or soft drink or or a soda as. You say from anywhere else in Detroit, we call it pop. But whenever there's uh, like a can of of pop in there, it's because we're drinking it between takes, and we're like, well, that can just sit there, right? That can be in the scene. It's like a little bit of like like flair, but like right. legitimately, I'm sure I that's driving it. your continuity person crazy. Yeah, I'm talking about driving them crazy because like I'm yeah. like I'm just picking up this pop, drinking it, and putting it down wherever. And they're like, well, no, you can't. You got to turn it the way it was before. It's got to be like right in the exact same spot. <laughs> but you didn't stop me. I just wanted my red pop. I would drink like maybe six or eight a day. It's probably not the best thing to do for yourself to drink any amount of pop that much. But No, while this show sounds like a love letter to Detroit, it also sounds like it could be leading to a heart attack for Sam Richardson. Yeah, so we'll see. Whichever one happens first. As long as you can keep doing the show to get at least one stent in. Yeah, exactly. And then, like, it, I, we can probably CGI me in if need be. If I have, like, a hospital stay, I can become, like, an a animated character, which could be fun. I would like to see that. Yeah. Personally. Yeah. <laughs> so you grew up in Detroit, but yeah. you also, your your father was from the Detroit area and your mother's from Ghana. From is that Ghana. correct? Uh-huh. My, so, yeah. So my, my dad is born and raised in Detroit and my mom is from Ghana. And, and as a child, you split time between the two? I did. I would go, like, I'd spend summers over there in Ghana. And uh, for first and second grade, I moved, I, I lived in Ghana. Because my grandfather was, was passing. So, like, my mother had to be there. And, of course, like, you know, like, to be with my mom while, like, while, while my right. grandfather was passing. Like, you know, it wasn't about being back and forth. Cause my grandfather was a chief. So there was a whole lot of, like, ceremonies and events and things that went around with his funeral and with his you know his being ill you know it it wasn't like a pop your head in kind of thing my mother had to be right. there and i don't think it, uh like 2 years just with my dad probably not the thing i think with my parents they were like eh, probably best to stay with Lydia than Lamar wow and so growing up even for part of your life whether it was those 2 years or summers in Ghana and then going to Detroit it feels like it has to be a little bit of like a culture shock. Yes, which I think kind of it's it's for sure a culture shock, and it gives you like a macro view of where you are in those places. However, like as a kid, like well, coming to Detroit, it made me appreciate all these things. You know, I'm like I'm like oh, uh, I I love this city. I you know I I see all the advancements that are here that aren't in Ghana, but at the same time in in Ghana. <laughs> if, if, if a, in, in, in Africa, everybody's black. Uh, in Detroit, 70%, 80% are black, but, like, they're not at the head of everything. You know, in, in Ghana, all the, all the politicians, all the 
business owners and, and like at all levels from the highest class to the lowest are black. Where in Detroit, you know, it's more spread around. So you, you have this confidence. I can be king. I can be president. I can be whatever. Coming right. back to Detroit or back, back to the states in general. Well, even when you talk about that, you, there's. did you ever see the documentary When We Were Kings, the Ali documentary? I still have not seen that. There's a moment in that documentary where he says a similar thing. He's in a plane flying into, I believe it's Zaire, and he's commenting to the camera, look, these pilots are black. I've never seen black pilots and i've never seen all of the business owners are black and everyone all the politicians are black and how amazing it is and he kind of says he wishes that he could have seen this when he were younger or that kids from louisville could see this coming from a place where he felt marginalized it it makes exactly that you know but at the same time, you know, I was living in in Ghana as like a little kid. I was like, well, where's like the TV and like the McDonald's? <laughs> so like, all I wanted to do was come back to Detroit so I could like eat McDonald's and like watch like Ninja Turtles. I wanted to watch A Team on television every day, which was was which was like the trade off for living in living as a prince in Africa. I didn't get to watch the A Team, <laughs> and I much preferred sure. <laughs> the A Team. It's Bullseye. I'm talking with Sam Richardson. He co-stars in the new Comedy Central series, Detroiters. Just looking at the various characters you play, there's a certain confidence that they all seem to have regardless of their status, whether it's your character on Detroiters or the character you play on Veep, Richard Splett. There is this sense of assurance that I think just hearing you talk about that confidence that you, you brought back as a child from Ghana and I'm just wondering, are there other influence comedically or just things that you consumed when you were there that you feel like helped to shape your voice as a comedian? Like comedically, I don't I, I, I can't think of like things that were on that were specifically specific to Ghana uh, because like there was really there like, like there was satellite TV and I, and I would always like watch VHS tapes that either my dad would send to me from the states, or there was like a video club called Ravel Video Club, which was like down the road from where I lived. Things like Police Academy, I watched uh, all of them maybe seven times a piece. So seven by seven was that forty nine. That is forty nine. Good. That's yeah. some good math. Thank you very much. Yeah. You know. I mean, it's. I'm confident in my math. Also. Well, yeah. I was gonna say though, if at this age in your life, seven by seven, you should be able to. Yeah, I should. Pre- I've got a little note card here that I kind of reference for it too. Right, but I, I've, I mean, the fact that you asked it as a question while we were talking about this confidence that you have mathematically, it seems like you should. It, it was. It was. It was just to be to a false humbleness. Oh. Because okay. I, I knew it was forty nine. Very. Very. Very much so. All right. Really? But I was like, ooh, I'm bragging about my skills in math. Let me kind of taper myself. Eight times eight. 64. Oh, all right. Good. Good. Throughout the rest of this interview, I'll just occasionally throw in a math problem. <laughs> all right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to – I we talked briefly about Veep, but I want to I wanna play a clip from Veep. And in the HBO show Veep, Sam Richardson plays a congressional aide named Richard Splett. In this scene, he manages to impress President Selena Meyer, who's played by Julia Louis-Dreyfus. The president is in a panic about a ballot recount, and it's Splett's time to shine. Ben, what do we do? What uh, do we we do? need to get a hold of our people in, in Nevada. Don't, don't. Well, the vast majority of Nevada voting is done by machine. 
Uh, once the Nevada Secretary of State certifies the count, we'll then have 72 hours to request a recount. Uh, at that point, 5% of the precincts will be selected, and if there's a discrepancy of more than 1%, a full hand recount will be requested. I actually did my uh, doctorate in recount procedures in the West. Excellent work, Richard. Richard works for me. You have a doctorate? Two. Uh, constitutional law and veterinary medicine, which was my fallback. But you were getting my coffee. Which is much harder, because, you know, you have so many different moods. You know, like a half-calf, a full-calf, macchiato. 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 <laughs> okay, Richard, you are going to be my recount specialist. Jonah, you're working for Richard. Wait, what? Amy? Jonah with me, please. I, again, I think what's, what's interesting and what's, what's fun watching you perform is... There is a there's a real joy that you that you bring to not just the character but to any scene you're in. And with a show like Veep, I feel like there's so much stuff going on and there are so many characters at work. How do you find your space in that world? How do you kind of get in there? For me, honestly, like there's so much stuff like when I'm doing a scene in Veep, like I'm doing a lot of stuff just for myself on, like, the side, because I, I'm just trying to keep myself present in it. And, like, with the character Richard, he himself is just so happy to be there that it lets me, as Sam, be, like, happy to be there. And I'm so, like, I'm just doing things, and sometimes the camera will pick it up, sometimes it won't. So, like, <laughs> honestly, like, if if the camera was on me, you'd see there's, like, little even things I'm just doing, like, like looking around the room, mm-hmm. even, like, when it, I'm not the focus. So I think that kind of helps make him real when like he is like when when the focus is on him because he's like kind of just like so present the whole time but also absent in thinking he's like a step behind right but uh (laughs) but he's always like every everything he takes in is you know important to him and like he's like oh (laughs) uh uh he's, he's like he's excited about all things um how much of sort of your experience at Veep has influenced how you've made Detroiters? Are there things that you saw in the process of of making Veep that you said, oh, let's lift some of that and bring it over to Detroiters? This uh, Detroiters is your show. It's I think some some of the aspects like like when a, a a line or when like a scene doesn't feel natural like in Veep, you know, we we do the table read, and then if something doesn't feel natural, we 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 put we put the scripts aside and we re-improvise the scene, and kind of try and make it feel more real. And then the writers take that and they kind of fold it back into the scene and then make it feel just a little bit more natural. And even on the day, like if something doesn't really work, you can find it. So we kind of did that. Uh, so I kind of lifted that notion and put it in Detroiters as well. Like if something doesn't feel right, we kind of like improvise our way out of it and back into it. So whatever scenes didn't feel like they worked, we then take those scenes, like kind of like find the beats of it again, and then like kind of just uh, improvise through it and like kind of borrow lines that were still there, but like kind of just try and find a way to just make it real and natural and not stilted. Right. Yeah. And the relationship that you and Tim have is is such a familial relationship. And I want to play another clip from Detroiters. In this scene, Sam and Tim are talking about their struggle to come up with a good pitch for Chrysler. We're dead. Eddie's going to kill us, and we've got nothing on this Chrysler pitch. We'll come up with something. No, we won't, man. We're dumb. Hey. Hey. You remember when we first took over your dad's company? And everybody quit, and all the clients left all on the same day? Yeah, 
Of course I remember. Oh, well, you remember like a year later? When we got our first client? Sure, Stan from the carpet, sir. Yeah, well, what do you want to call himself? <laughs> what do you want to call himself? Big Stan the carpet guy. What did we call him? Big Stan the carpet man. That's right. And why? Because it rhymed. Because it rhymed. Yes. See, buddy, we did it then. We'll do it now. Again, Betty. It's because it rhymes. With it's got to rhyme. It's got to rhyme. That's the whole point yeah. of it. That's uh, Sam Richardson and Tim Robinson from their show Detroiters. And what's great about that is it feels like there is a real patience that you all have with one another. And just even in that clip, just a, a trust that exists there. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you and Tim first met and just your working relationship over the years. Uh, yeah. Uh, and it's okay Tim if you want to f- cry. Like This is my first time doing Bullseye, and they told me if I can make somebody shed a few tears, I get a free Starbucks gift card. Ooh, all right. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll, I'll squeeze out some some, uh, some tears, even if they're crocodile. I'll make it work. Hey, I, all I care about is that gift card. I don't even drink coffee. <laughs> I just like winning. You can get like a, a scone. A lot of options there. They do smoothies. Uh, yeah, so Tim and I uh, first met in, in the Detroit improv scene. Uh, Tim was my level A Second City improv teacher uh, when I was, I think I was, I was 18, uh, and Tim was 21, and like, we just became fast friends, boom, immediately, and like, we just hang out all the time. So then like <laughs> from that, that moment on, we would like kind of just always go to the bar. He, he would sneak me into... The local bar because I was 19. He was 21. It was just about confidence, like boosting forward. Right. And we just like hang out all the time. We did a bunch of shows together in Detroit at Plant Ant Theater and at Second City in Detroit. Then we both went off to Chicago eventually. Uh, Tim joined one touring company. I joined another one. They hired us to the main stage together to write shows together. That's at Second City? At Second City in Chicago. Okay. Yep. So like, that relationship, like in that clip, is kind of a real life way that we are with each other because like we'll, we'll have a tendency to spin out and like kind of like all of a sudden plummet in confidence right or tim tim does a lot and i'm always like hey, buddy what are you talking about you're hilarious is fine so like that's a real aspect of our relationship is you know we we have these highs and lows that we kind of maintain each other through we'll finish up my conversation with sam richardson after a short break coming up sam tells us how with just a little confidence you can do almost anything even get a beer when you're underage. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Just a quick thank you to our sponsor who brings you this message, ZipRecruiter. They understand that posting your job in one place isn't enough to find quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your job on all the top job sites. And now you can. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 200-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. Right now, Bullseye listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash first. All this month, we're asking you to tell a friend about a podcast they'll love. Right now, think of a friend, family member, anyone you care about. What podcast would they really love? It could be any podcast. It doesn't even have to be Bullseye. Okay, got it now tell them tell them about it in real life or on social media and if they don't know about podcasts show them 
Tell us what you recommended with the hashtag tripod. That's T-R-Y pod. And thanks for spreading the word. It's Bullseye. I'm Wyatt Sinak, in for Jesse Thorne. I'm talking with Sam Richardson. He co-created and stars in the new Comedy Central show Detroiters and has a regular role on the HBO series Veep. When you and Tim met, you, you were 18, he was 21, and around that time he would start sneaking you into bars. Did it work? It honestly did. Because, like, the idea is, like, once you get in, you then, like, so I would sneak in, like, in, like, I'd, I'd, like somebody would put up a block, you know, people who were regulars would get in there, and they just, like, beeline it in and, like, hope that nobody asks any questions. He's just very confident because nobody's, like, really looking for an underage guy. But, like, you know, you have to check the IDs. But if you got past that, cool. Get in there, get your drink, drink very confidently, and then make friends with the door guy. You know what I mean? Like, little comments there. So then he gets to know you by face and makes him friends with the bartender. Right. So you just, like, get to know you. And so it's not, And then before you know it, like, you're just a regular. So you walk in, you're like, hey, what's up, Donald? And you just kind of walk in without ever being ID'd. And we'd go to this one bar in Detroit, <laughs> and I would go. I was I became a regular there when I was 19, and then I had my 21st birthday at this bar, and the the owner was like, "Oh, Sam, happy birthday! Uh, how old are you?" I was like, "I'm 21, George." <laughs> He's like, "You son of a!" He was so mad at me. He didn't talk to me for two months. Oh wow, <laughs> wow. But, like, I was like, hey, you know what I mean? Statute of limitations doesn't exist. I'm 21. I'm legal now. Yeah. You can go back and arrest me when I was 19? Can't. Yeah. And you know what? You got all that tip money. That would have gone to Fago Soda and Best Made Chips, and instead it's going to you. <laughs> exactly. Better Made Chips. Oh, Better Made Chips. Yeah. Well. Best is one level above it. Yeah. Which I bet is coming. You showed Detroiters, obviously set in Detroit. You grew up in Detroit. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more, Sam, about what your experience growing up in Detroit was like. And as you've seen the city change, how has your experience with the city changed, if it's changed at all? Uh, yeah. Uh, my my experience in Detroit is uh, kind of unique, but not entirely unique. I went to, uh, growing up, of course, my mother's from Ghana, but my dad's from Detroit, and was always involved in, in politics and also restaurants. My dad was a restaurateur, but also like a campaign manager for my aunt, Barbara Rose Collins, who was a, uh, a congresswoman uh, and a city council member. But I, would, I went to like private school. I went to a friend's school in Detroit, which was like a small Quaker school. Very, very tiny, but it was in Detroit. It was at St. Aubin and, and, uh, and Lafayette. Uh, St. Aubin and LaSalle. Well, let me go back. Saint, it, was, it was on St. Aubin. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, St. So Aubin. I, yeah. On Lafayette Saint, or know, on St. Aubin? That's what I'm trying to remember. I, no, I, in my I'm, house. <laughs> like, I'm making Lafayette. stuff up as though I know my way around Detroit. <laughs> it's very, very convincing. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> it is actually closed. The school closed uh, a couple years ago. Really? Yeah. Closed for financial reasons, or just they were like, we taught as many kids as we we can. They're all we sent enough geniuses into the world. I, th- I think it's a little bit of both. They're like, all right, all right, Sam's out there, he's doing his thing. I think we've done our part. <laughs> but with that, sort of talking about stuff like that, like your the school you went to as a kid doesn't exist anymore. A city that's known for most for you know the amount of change that it goes through how do you reckon with that how do you like what is your experience with that 
Uh, well, it's interesting because you know, like then after moving out of the city uh, to to like work at, at at Second City in Chicago, then moving out to L.A. to try and work in TV and stuff, I you know I'd go back like three four times a year, and you'd kind of watch things decline, watch things decline, and then all of a sudden it turned around. So like now there's all these new businesses downtown and like it's being revitalized. Uh, so much of the, these spaces are just kind of like it's watching the city grow again because like you know you'd you'd watch like let's say like, like let's say I'd, I'd come back every three months and you just like kind of watch buildings like you, you just like kind of watch this decline every three months and it's you know a little depressing despairing uh, but then like to see that kind of boom start to happen and then to watch people really start to invest in the city and to kind of like bring it back has been an incredible like breath of of air and and like and confidence in the city because like, that city is the most confident place i think in the world but uh you know it's nice to see that confidence rewarded sam richardson i want to thank you for coming on bullseye today thank you very much Wyatt, thank you so much for having me it's been a real pleasure sam richardson you can catch his show detroiters tuesday nights at ten thirty. season six of hbo's veep kicks off next month It's Bullseye, in for Jesse Thorne, I'm Wyatt Cenac. Next up, Sid, also known as Sid the Kid. She's a singer, producer, engineer. Born Sydney Bennett, she first made a name for herself in the hip-hop collective Odd Future, alongside Tyler the Creator, Frank Ocean, Earl Sweatshirt, Haji Beats, and more. As part of the group, Sid helped shape the band's live sound, and a lot of the group's original tracks were recorded in her home studio that she built as a teenager. It was also during that time she started writing and recording her own songs. With her friend Matt Martian, she started a new band, The Internet. The group since released three albums, each new release selling more than the last. Where Odd Future played an aggressive, sometimes surreal kind of hip-hop, The Internet usually channels a more laid-back sound that evokes Janet Jackson, D'Angelo, and Jamiroquai. Having spent most of her career in groups, Sid is struck out on her own with her first-ever solo album, Finn. It was released just last month. She's collaborated with some big-name producers this time around, people like Rocky, Mellow X, and Hitboy. It's a more modern sound, but not too modern. Sid mixes trap beats with the occasional late-90s R&B throwback more than once. It's a confident debut. On Finn, you hear an artist really coming into her own. Let's take a listen to the first single off Finn. It's called All About Me. Sid, welcome to Bullseye. Thank you. Now, Sid, we should start off just clearing it up for everybody. The title of the album, Finn, is not that this is your last album. Right, no. 
is because of a shark fin. <clears throat> yeah, I was originally going to name the album Dive because I don't know why, but I threw a lot of water references in <laughs> in some of the songs. And so I wanted like a, a title that kind of reflected that theme. And Dive kind of worked for me. I felt like, okay, I'm trying to get a little deeper with my songwriting. And then I realized, one, that the album wasn't that deep. It was just kind of fun. <laughs> and also that there was a song I had originally on the album that didn't make the final track list. So when that song didn't make it, I was like, okay, I need a new title. And Finn popped in my head one day. It kind of just stuck. Although in a strange way, there is a little bit of a finality that I feel like happened for this record to happen. I, I think what's interesting about you as a musician and your story as far as people know of you, you know, you started with Odd Future. You started as the sound engineer and DJ, and you were part of a larger group. And then you moved on to the internet, which again was a group. And then this is sort of you by yourself. It's 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 when you're part of a group, you you can, where you end and where another person begins can get a little blurry. This is all you. So there is, it feels like on some level, if you did want to say there is some finality in that idea of who Sid was when she was Sid the Kid of Odd Future, and even though you're still doing stuff with the internet. That's a good point. Um, yeah, I've always been a group team kind of player and I think it's for the most part because I was never really ready to go on about this whole music making thing on my own up until now that's actually why we started with the single all about me was because I realized like I don't know when you're on your own like it's super important to keep people around you who one know you like know the actual you and two people who aren't afraid to tell you no or tell you mm, that's not tight, <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure, yeah, because with this album, it seems like you collaborated with a lot of different people and with people outside of the sort of normal circles that you normally work with, like a song like Body, which was produced by Mellow X, and you work with Robert Glasper on Insecurities as well as a few that was produced by Rocky, and a lot of the songs were produced at The Loft, which is your studio, <laughs> but you also... It's actually my bedroom, <laughs> The <laughs> Loft. It sounds better if you call it The Loft. It, my loft feels, it feels like a loft. It's actually just like a bedroom with a lot of windows, but it feels like a loft. Is, is that common nowadays as far as studios, <clears throat> or if you're bringing someone else who hasn't worked with you to The Loft... Are they kind of like, <laughs> wait a minute, we're in your bedroom? <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it's kind of weird. It depends on how well I know the person. I don't necessarily like to bring new sessions to my bedroom just for the level of professionalism. But thankfully, I have two other studios set up in my house. I have, like, one in my basement that feels more like a real studio. So when I need to, like, show off... I take people down there. Right. <laughs> and then we have a rehearsal space on the main floor, and that's where I have, like, my mixing, like, my live sound mixing board up there. I have, like, we have a drum kit. Chris's drum kit is in there. We got, like, bass amp, guitar amp, 
also a bunch of windows. But thankfully, <laughs> my parents love music uh, just as much as I do. That's good, yeah. Because, yeah, you still live with your parents. Yeah, yeah. How have they uh, taken this new album? Surprisingly, um, very well. I honestly didn't play it that much for, like, my mom and stuff before it dropped because, personally, I just thought that she'd be more of a fan of um, the Internet stuff because it's more soulful, which is, like, you know, her lane. But, like, her favorite song on my album is Dollar Bills. Would not have would really? not have expected that. It's funny because, like, when she starts talking about it, she starts singing it, it makes complete sense why she loves that song because she's a goofball. <laughs> Well, that's what I was going to ask. Why does she like that song? Because for those who haven't heard the song, it's a song about being a stripper. <laughs> yeah, she calls it the stripper song, actually. Let's take a listen to Dollar Bills featuring Steve Lacey off Sid's album, Finn. All right, I pull up the freshest, but what's new? I walk in no guest list. The chandelier matches my necklace. Dollar Bills off of Sid's album, Finn. That's her mom's favorite song on the album, which I just like the idea that your mom would be somewhere with her friends and like, this is my baby right here. Yeah. No, my mom is, my mom is awesome. She's, she's super fun. It's Bullseye. I'm Wyatt Cenac. I'm talking with Sid, the singer of the internet and collaborator with Odd Future, has her first ever solo album out now. So with a song like Dollar Bills... It's mom's favorite song. How did mom's favorite song come to be? Um, okay, well, that song was produced by Steve Lacey and Flip Coulson. They made that beat like a long time ago, probably right after we finished Ego Death. Flip Coulson was a guy who I worked with like right, I don't know, around the time we were releasing Ego Death and I was just writing to his beats and I came back to the, the team and was like, yo... I think I introduced him to Steve. They started making beats together, and they made, like, a three beats, and, and I took all of them. <laughs> and that was one of them. I just I sat in the loft one day, and I just started writing what sounded good to me. And originally I wrote that song for a man to sing. So I left, like, some male, like, pronouns in there um, because it just rhymed. I don't know. <laughs> right. But, um... The beat reminded me of Miguel a lot, so I wanted, I don't know, it wouldn't have made sense, like, looking back on it and listening to it, and I was like, hmm, let me find, like, I don't know, like a Miguel-type dude to, <laughs> to send this to, and I just couldn't, so I just pitched it back up. Yeah, originally that song, like, my vocals were super deep. I had pitch-shifted my vocals down to make it sound like a dude, so that when I sent it to a dude, they would hear themselves on it. Have you ever worked with Miguel, or is he somebody you would want to work with down the line? Not that I know. Oh, I'm a huge Miguel fan. I, I would love to work with him eventually. Um, I met him not too long ago. 
He's super nice. How is that as far as sort of in the music industry, working alongside people that I'm sure you're fans of and meeting people that you might be a fan of and trying to kind of navigate that space between being a fan and being a contemporary and a colleague? <clears throat> I don't know. I think... Um... It's a little surreal most of the time. There's part of me who doesn't want to work with certain artists because I'd rather not consider myself an acquaintance of one of my idols sometimes. Those are the little things that will keep me human, maybe. And I don't know, and maybe keep me honest. And also I like, I like to, to think that I have a lot to look forward to. So I'm not really in a rush to meet a lot of people or work with a lot of people that I'm huge fans of. I, I kind of like right. keeping my distance. It's also, I feel like, I don't know, it's it's interesting when you do meet those people or are in that same space with those people. Bill Murray was somebody that I was always a big mm -hmm. fan of. I, I watched a lot of his movies and stuff, and I remember being at a party and Bill Murray was like 10 feet away from me <laughs> and I I could have gone over and said something but it felt like <laughs> I don't really know what to say and it just felt like you know what this is good yeah. enough like I like <laughs> if I have that opportunity where he and I could have a conversation right. great but I got what I need from this moment and and you still have stuff to look forward to also I'm the type of person who like I'd rather, like, just admire somebody from afar than, hey, I'm Sid and I'm a huge fan of yours and one day you'll know who I am type stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd rather just wait till they find out who I am and come up to me like, yo, I've heard your stuff and I like it. And then I'd be like, yo, you don't even know what that means to me. <laughs> right. We'll continue my conversation with Sid after a quick break. She'll tell me why after a bunch of hit singles and albums she still lives with her parents. Turns out her mom and dad really are the best ever. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Looking for your new favorite band? The Austin 100 from NPR Music has 100 fresh discoveries that you can actually download for a limited time. That's 100 free songs yours to keep showcasing the best new artists from this year's South by Southwest Music Festival. All you have to do is visit npr.org slash austin100, and until March 31st, you can grab all 100 songs at the click of a link. Or if downloading isn't your thing, search for the Austin 100 on the NPR One app. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Kia Nero with the launch of Kia's first-ever ground-up hybrid crossover. Like all Kia models, Nero comes with an industry-leading 10-year, 100,000-mile warranty program, a testament to its outstanding quality and reliability. Discover the new technologically advanced Kia Nero, a smarter kind of crossover. All warranties and roadside assistance are limited. See retailer for details or go to kia.com. It's Bullseye. I'm Wyatt Sinak, in for Jesse Thorne. We'll get back to my interview with Sid in a bit, but first I want to tell you about Pop Rocket. It's Bullseye's sister show here at Maximum Fun. Every week, Pop Rocket brings you a fascinating and funny conversation about all things pop culture. It's all hosted by the comedian Guy Branham. Hey, Guy, what's going on on Pop Rocket this week? Hey, we're going to take a look at Ryan Murphy's latest show, Feud, about the red-hot hatred between Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. 
Don't mess with us, boys. This isn't our first time at the rodeo. Sounds good. Pop Rocket. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts. It's Bullseye. I'm Wyatt Sinak, in for Jesse Thorne. My guest is Sid. She was a founding member of the rap collective Odd Future. She sings in a soul band The Internet, and her first ever solo album, Finn, was released just last month. With the album having just come out, has it been exciting? Like, what's... Are, are you still in the sort of rush of that? Or having already put albums out with the internet and without future, is it just kind of par for the course at this point? Um, I think having the practice from before made this release process a lot smoother and easier for me. To be yeah. honest, it's like weird. I feel like it, I feel like I dropped it a long time ago. I don't know if that's because I've been listening to it for so long or if it's because people's attention spans are so short these days. Like, sometimes I'll get on Twitter and check my mentions and people are like, I'm still bumping this Finn album. And I'm like, still? Like, it just... <laughs> I don't know. Like, in my head, a month is not that long. But when people talk about it like that, I feel like it's been out forever. Well, that always... I feel like that's always the frustrating thing if you make something when you wind up doing press for it and you talk to people the question that always or inevitably will come out is so what's next for you <laughs> right yeah i spent the last like months on this <laughs> and you could at least appreciate it for more right. than, for more than a few weeks <laughs> right that's i feel like there are those albums i mean listening to this album it's interesting because you talked about possibly naming this album Dive and that there were a lot of water references and today in New York it's it's been kind of rainy mm-hmm. and I was listening to the album I had the windows open and you know there's a little bit of rain coming and I was kind of like oh this is a good <laughs> like nice rainy day album <laughs> and for me it had always been I always would put on Loose Ends mm-hmm. Hanging on a String was one of those songs that I felt like was a good rainy day song for me and yeah it's just interesting when you find some of those those types of songs i think patrice russian forget me nots mm. yeah for you are there are there a few other of those like emotional things that you go to because i feel like this is an emotional album and i feel like a lot of the internet's albums also there was a lot of emotion there and at the same time for my album i used bryson tiller's album as a big inspiration. I was listening to Trap Soul a lot while I was writing a few of the songs on my album. That was, yeah, that's another, like, emotional album (laughs) that I would probably put on on a rainy day. For internet albums, we referenced a lot of, like, (laughs) D'Angelo and Jamiroquai and N.E.R.D. as well. It's interesting because you mentioned insecurities and... I'd like to play a little bit from Insecurities in a moment, but that's that's the last song on the album. What's what's kind of interesting, sort of contrasting it to a song like All About Me, there's a lot of confidence in this album. There's a lot of confidence in you coming through this album. Have you always felt that, or where did you kind of get to that point? Um, I I've always, I think everybody does, but I've always struggled a lot with, this this confidence that that I've recently found, uh, I just recently found. I don't know. It, I think it came from mostly becoming a better 
artist and a better songwriter. I think that's where I get most of my confidence from is is knowing that I'm talented because that's that's something that no one can ever take away from you. Like nobody can ever come into my house and steal my talent. <laughs> I mean, did you see Get Out? Cause that's kind of the whole... You know what? I saw it three times, actually. Have you really? Yes, in theaters. Oh, wow. Three different cities. Wow. <laughs> I wasn't playing. Wait, which cities did you see Get Out in? Okay, I saw it the first time in Washington, D.C., which was a very cool dynamic. Mostly mostly black people in the audience. Saw it the second time in Atlanta. Again, mostly black people in the audience. I just saw it, like, day before yesterday in Hollywood. Much different audience. It was dope because, like, just seeing the different dynamics that were watching the film and seeing how white people laughed at different things than than black people did. I think everyone ultimately had the same reaction at the end, but, like, just the the stuff that people were laughing at just caught me off guard. But it was dope. Yeah. Loved it. No, I noticed that. I I just saw it over the weekend, and, yeah, for me, I could hear, like, the different things that different types of people were laughing (laughs) at. And, yeah, what it seemed like were hitting with white people weren't necessarily hitting with the black people in the audience and vice versa. And then if you've seen it three times and you just put out an album... (laughs) then a lot of other people don't have excuses. Yeah, there's no excuse. Like, I saw it twice on tour, and once when I got home from tour. Was it, like, little details, or was it, like, plot stuff? Like, are you you a big movie buff? Do you (laughs) like to go check out movies in general? I never go to the movies, honestly. This was rare. I've never seen the same movie three times in theaters. (laughs) Yeah, that's impressive, because I I try to go to movies, but it's rare that I've gone to see a movie multiple times in the theater i think the only movie i saw like that i saw attack the block twice (laughs) in a movie theater wait i've never heard of this movie before attack the block you never heard of attack the block see i'm not a movie person like i don't i feel like if you liked get out you'd like attack the block attack (laughs) the block it's uh it's a it's an english movie and it stars uh john boyega who was in the most recent star wars movie Mm, okay uh, or not not Rogue One, but but it's basically all about these uh, like project kids in like a London housing project that get attacked by aliens. <laughs> wow, the plot. It's a it's a good one. I feel I feel like you'd like it. I feel like if you like Get Out, the title itself is is very intriguing. It's one of those movies that I've. Like now I own it on iTunes and wind up watching it a bunch in a similar way. There are things that, yeah, I've seen it now enough times, but each time, oh, that's an interesting that's an interesting thing I didn't notice the first yeah, time. I, that's, that's one thing I, I do love about watching movies is, is um, the symbolism and the details, you know? You live at home with your parents, and I assume at this point in your life, that's by choice and not that you've blown all your money. <laughs> so what has informed that choice to, to continue to live at home? Well, first, I'm, I'm really lucky in that my parents are, like, super cool. Um, there's nothing that I do that they, you know, don't approve of. I think I'm very lucky in that sense. And I did move out of the house when I was... 19 when I first got 
my first record deal, I was like, okay, I can't do this. I'm out. And that, you know, that was like, I don't know. I never, I didn't go to college. I didn't leave the house to go to college, which I feel like for a lot of parents and kids, that's time when, you know, you leave the nest and, and you both kind of learn to appreciate each other and start missing each other and all that. I didn't do that. And there was, there was a time where I was butting heads with my parents. Um, and thankfully, I got a bunch of money at that time. And <laughs> I was able to get an apartment. After a year there, um, we got, like, noise complaints too much. They tried to evict us. Thankfully, they couldn't evict us, but we ended up just trying to find a new apartment <laughs> when the lease was up. And searching for a new apartment, my mom was just like, just come home, like, don't don't waste your money. And I was like, all right, sure. <laughs> no no argument there, like, if you insist. And now I'm just like, look, I'm not leaving. Y'all going to have to kick me out because now I've made, <laughs> this, I've made this house mine. Yeah, and like I said, like, they, they love music, so it's nothing for them to have three studios in the house. Like, in fact, they're actually proud of it like their friends come over and they're like oh yeah like you got studios in the house it's cool we'll be rehearsing like late at night my mom will come downstairs like out of the bed and and I'm thinking she's gonna tell us to be quiet but she has her iPad out and she's filming us it's awesome (laughs) I like the idea that at some point maybe you're just gonna come home and your mom and dad are just gonna be recording their own (laughs) album yeah, I would not be surprised though. That's the cra- you know what? My mom wanted to be an an engineer when um when she was my age. She wanted to be a studio engineer. She didn't pursue it. So like she's super happy that I am doing it. Yeah. I'd like to play Insecurities. It's the last song off Sid's new album, Finn, which is available now through Columbia Records. You can thank my insecurities. Keeping me around you, babe I pack my bags but never leave Cause it's so hard to walk away You know I love you, girl Maybe more than I love myself But in a perfect world I would be with somebody For me, what I really like about that song is it sounds to me the most confident of all of the songs mm. on this on this record. I think both what you're saying, how you're singing it, it despite it being called insecurities, <laughs> it feels like there's a certain confidence to acknowledging your insecurities oh, yeah. and not letting them hold you back. Yeah, man. It's like a, a weird conflict but it definitely takes a lot of confidence to admit to most of your insecurities. Um, You're right. I mean, insecurities in general will keep you in a lot of situations that are not necessarily healthy for you. That song, for me, writing it, I was completely thinking about my last, like, long relationship. 
and why it was why it lasted as long as it did because you know I knew I knew for like a long part of it that it wasn't gonna work but I stayed because it was easier that was like one of those um relationships where I didn't leave for so long because I felt like I couldn't do better yeah I think that's a common thing for a lot of people and to recognize that and also to be able to talk to somebody about that is that's a tough thing yeah like I'm only yeah that's the hardest part I think or at least for me was like because I'm I'm a very considerate person I don't like to hurt people's feelings (laughs) so part of um not wanting to tell somebody like look I'm I'm only still here because like I'm very insecure (laughs) um nobody wants to say that to somebody but honesty has gotten me a, a long way that's true yeah and I can say I appreciate your honesty with this album and just in sitting down today and talking with me and yeah thank you for uh, spending a little time and chatting. Thank you. Thank uh, me. Uh, thank you for putting me onto a Attack the Block. I'm about to <laughs> go download that. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, Sid, thank you so much for joining us on Bullseye today. Thank you. Sid, everyone. Her new album, Finn, is out now. Stream it, download it, buy the vinyl. You know the drill. She's on tour, too. Go to MaximumFun.org for dates and locations. Every week at Bullseye, we like to leave you with a recommendation from the host. And with Jesse away, it's my turn. It's the outshot. In the interview with Sid, we talked about the films Get Out and Attack the Block, which were both fun movies that use horror and science fiction to talk about race and class. What works with both films is their ability to present truths. Truths that for some can feel more unsettling than the goriest scenes in a Saw movie, in part because the probability of finding oneself in a racially uncomfortable situation is higher than finding oneself in some weird basement murder game. Get Out takes real tensions and plays them out to their most horrifying extremes. But this isn't an outshot for Get Out. It's for another film that I was reminded of as I left the theater. The 1972 blaxploitation thriller The Thing with Two Heads, starring NFL defensive tackle Rosie Greer and Oscar winner Ray Milland. It seemed like a good idea at the time. The white bigot was dying, and the black soul brother needed time to prove his innocence. More power to you, brother. I want to transplant my head on a healthy body. I think I like to donate my body to science after all. So they transplanted the white head onto the black body. Who would have suspected that neither would care for the idea too much? Now, black exploitation films have a complicated place in history. The film genre as a whole is often derided for presenting stereotypical images of black people, but their origins have been rooted in the idea that movie studios did not see people of color as having stories worth telling. And rather than sit idly by, black filmmakers like Melvin Van Peebles and Gordon Parks Jr. decided to create their own lane. Many of the films were a direct response to that dismissiveness by the studios. A lot of them were white films kind of remade with black leads. The 1972 film Hitman was a remake of 1971's Get Carter, starring Bernie Casey in place of Michael Caine. The Warren Beatty romantic comedy Shampoo was turned into Black Shampoo, with John Daniels starring as a hairstylist who defends his loved ones with a chainsaw. It's a little different. 
The Thing with Two Heads takes as its inspiration the incredible two-headed transplant where Bruce Dern plays a mad scientist who attaches a serial killer's head onto another man's body. If it sounds like a schlocky B-movie, it is. But unlike the original, The Thing with Two Heads speaks to something deeper. In it, the head of a prejudiced white doctor is fused onto the body of a wrongfully accused black man. And their only hope for survival comes from a black doctor played by Land of the Giants' Don Marshall. Williams, I got a proposition for you. This transplant has made medical history. Now we should work together. Just you and me. You and me? Look, you work with me on this, and I'll make it up to you. Just you and me. We'll take all the credit for what we've done here. What about Dr. Desmond? Philip? Oh, he's an excellent surgeon. But I see a more promising future with you. You actually feel that I could take credit for something with which I had very little to do? I don't understand you. The reason you don't understand, Doctor, is because you're a bigot. A bigot of the highest caliber. And because of that, you have underestimated me and my intelligence. Williams, if you cut off my head, that'll be murder. But it's okay for you to cut off my head, is that right? Williams, I'm warning you. Listen, Kirshner. I've heard enough to convince me that this man is innocent and that you have no right to his body. Then you're going to help me? Yes. Like Get Out and Attack the Block, it subverts its genre. The monster in the movie isn't some ghastly creature or serial killer. It's an ideology or belief that invisibly does more damage than a monster ever could. Of course, The Thing with Two Heads isn't nearly as nuanced or artful as Get Out, and the clumsy messaging can make it kind of ridiculous, too. It's one of the only movies I can think of where a man with two heads can get into an argument with himself about his own bigotry and at the same time set his differences aside and compete in a dirt bike race. And despite having so many seasoned actors, the performances aren't the greatest. The special effects are kind of silly, even though they were done by one of the greats, Rick Baker. The score isn't one of Blaxploitation's more memorable ones either even though it was done by the incredible bongo band, the group that would go on to create one of the earliest and most popular breakbeats in hip-hop. But that's not the point. So many movies exist simply to entertain us, to allow the viewer an escape from the hard truths of the real world. As a society, we've got a lot of those hard truths that we try to distract ourselves from. Whether in 1972, 2011, or 2017, it's nice when those distractions don't let us escape for too long. That's my outshot. Ray Milland and Rosie Greer as The Thing with Two Heads. You get some sleep, baby. Why don't you stay here for a little while? It's no use, honey. Maybe when I get used to it. Now you know you got to go. We've come to the end of another episode of Bullseye. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson with help from Christian Duanius. Production fellows at MaximumFun.org are Kara Hart and Nick Liao. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. All our interstitial music is provided by Dan Wally. Our theme was recorded by the Go Team and provided to us by Memphis Industries. 
If you'd like to hear any of our past programs, they're all free. Just go to MaximumFun.org. I guess that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. NPR.